sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.
bow before the Lord. That is why we're here today, to give you all the praise and glory that you deserve. Lord, guide us to worship you authentically. Guide us to worship you in spirit and in truth today. Lord, we pray. And it's in Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Well, please uh, bring your attention to the, uh, the guest card. We'd love to have all of our guests. Maybe you're a first or second time uh, guest, and, and we would love to know you're worshiping with us. And if we can provide any information, you please let us know. There's some boxes there that can be checked. I, I'm interested in joining the church. I'm interested in renewing my commitment to Christ or uh, so forth. And so you check any of those boxes, uh, and, and we'll be happy to get back with you and offer you all the assistance we can, all right? And then the rest of us, everybody has an opportunity for a prayer request card, so please fill that out, and we'll be faithful to pray for those. And it, matter of fact, does it say on there? Yeah, so um, if you want it to be kept confidential, you can keep it confidential, and the staff will do that. If you want it to be on the on the church prayer list, it will be as well, okay? And and there's a, there's a good group of people. Matter of fact, you ought to join them. A good group of folks that are in our prayer meeting on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. And, and they pray for all those needs. So uh, praise the Lord for the prayer ministry. All right. Well, hey, let's uh, keep rolling with uh, the armor of God. And we're going to repeat one uh, that we did last week because it just repeats this beautiful uh, truth of it's, it, Christ is our righteousness. Amen. Let's sing it together. Oh 
together this great old hymn, this Charles Wesley text. And how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? today. Lord God, I pray, I pray that we can all say this is our testimony within the sound of my voice today. Not just there was a time where my chains fell off, but I rose, I went forth, and I followed you, and I'm still following you today. 
Lord, I pray that that can be the testimony of each and every person in here. If it can't, I pray that today you would bring salvation to those who need a Savior. Lord, we just pray for today's offering, and we ask that you use it to glorify your great name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
All right, I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and let's look together in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and let's begin reading in verse 10. Familiar text to you and me. The Bible says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, based on that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. When we have our prayer time on Tuesday, we go to a room that is a shared room for Sunday school hour, and that is Lacey Shelton's Sunday school class. And this past week, on her whiteboard, Lacey had this statement. Satan's two biggest lies. Now, if you've been studying Ephesians 6, your mind all of a sudden thinks about schemes and the assaults of the enemy. And so the two biggest lies on the board in Lacey's Sunday school class were as follows. With enough effort, you can do the law. That's his first lie. Let that sink in. Does that fit at all with last week's sermon? With enough effort, you can keep the law. And the second lie is, with enough sin, you can undo the gospel. Would you consider those two lies as relevant to the text of Scripture in Ephesians 6? And what that reveals to us. We learned last week that the breastplate's function is to ward off the deadly thrusts of, let's say, in, the, in that time frame, a short sword that could pierce the lungs or the heart or maybe even a spear. And the reason for it was to protect vital organs. And thus, when we're dealing with the breastplate of righteousness, we're dealing with the core of your being, spiritual organs that need to be protected from the enemy. Whereas the belt of truth dealt with the core of your strength, the loins. Here we have the core of your being. And so, this is what the righteousness of Christ does for us. The breastplate of righteousness is God's own righteousness freely given to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not something that we can generate on our own. Righteousness is received And put on through faith as Christ gives us his righteousness. So it is what theologians call imputed righteousness. We dealt with this last week. So if you do not have this righteousness, nothing can save you. But if you do have this righteousness, nothing, or should I say, if you have it, you are absolutely safe for all eternity. 
So both of those statements, Lacey on your board, are absolutely, there are the lies of the enemy, but they are true. You cannot do the law and be saved. By the works of the law will no man ever be justified. And I take you over there just for a moment to Romans to think about a few things. Just listen to the word of the Lord. Again, this righteousness in this text is a declared righteousness through faith alone in Christ alone. So Paul says, take up and put on this breastplate. In other words, the knowledge of imputed righteousness to you, conferred to your account, is what you need to put on. You have the knowledge of it, but you need to take it a step forward. Just like the scripture in Romans 6, he that is dead to sin, right? If we've been, if we've died to sin, then we have to reckon ourselves dead to that sin. In like manner, since you have been given the righteousness of Christ before the Father in heaven and Jesus is your righteousness, you have to put that on. You have to take the knowledge in the mind and apply that to your life. And so why is it important? Because Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Y'all get that clear? No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Skip on down. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And we know what Romans 3.23 says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But don't you love? Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been made known. It has been manifested. And it's been manifested apart from the law. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is a righteousness from God. There is a righteousness from God. That's the way the book of Romans starts in verse 17 or 16. We love that verse, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then listen to how Paul will speak of this in Philippians chapter 3. One of my favorite texts in the Bible. Listen to verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Listen to this. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See how clear the Bible addresses this need for righteousness. So today I say to you again, if you are lost, you need the righteousness of Jesus. It is the only thing that can save you. It is the reason why the Son of God came down from heaven. Why? To 
actively live a life that we could never live in obedience and to passively look toward the cross in order to pay that penalty that we could have never paid because we did break the law. Yet he was 100% righteous. He that knew no sin became sin for us that the very righteousness of God may be in us, that we would have the righteousness of God. So I want to do two sermons on righteousness. Y'all okay with that? And this is the second one. But today I want to focus on how, how is it that that breastplate helps us? When we apply it, what, are, what is our thought process? Why do we need it? So again, stand firm. How? By putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, this requires something of us. Don't stand aloof from this. Even though your righteous standing is given to you by Christ alone in glory. And you're declared innocent and righteous. And there's therefore now no condemnation. You have to take that knowledge of that truth and apply it to your life. There's something required of us here. We're called on something to do. We're we're called on here to do something. And it is to take the knowledge of that righteousness. Christ given to our account. Conferred to us. And for us to practically live it out in life. So we need protection in our spiritual organs so that we can stand firm, so that we can resist in that evil day. So Paul presents this as a vital component for our survival. This is warfare. Are y'all with me? This is a real fight. It is not... uh, Against flesh and, it is not against flesh and blood. It's against those principalities. So this is important. How do we apply the conferred righteousness to us, given to our account before Almighty God, where there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? How do we look at this? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, the first thing I want to say is more collectively as a church. It is individually, but it's also collective. This truth reminds us of how important doctrine is in the church and how it has to be applied to our everyday lives. And so, is what we believe important? Is what we teach and preach and what the Word of God actually says, is that important to life? And I know some people just want to keep doctrinal belief at arm's length, especially in our day when everything goes and truth is relevant. is is relative and the way the world sees it there are no absolutes but the Bible tells us specific things that are absolutes right it gives us doctrinal understanding so this truth is important and when we look at church life this is why your pastor believes this this is why the apostles believe this this is why teachers of the Bible believe that what we think and believe about scripture and doctrinal things are important Uh, the old er aged John Piper says this the older I get the less impressed I am with flashy success and enthusiasms that are not truth based he says everybody knows that with the right personality right music right location and the right schedule you can grow a church without anyone really knowing what doctrinal commitments actually sustains it if any Church planting specialists generally downplay biblical doctrine and the core values of what makes a church successful. The long-term effect of this kind of ethos is a weakening of the church that is concealed as long as the crowds are large, as long as the band is loud, as long as the tragedies are few, and as long as the persecution is still held at a level of preference. 
But more and more, this doctrinally diluted brew of music, drama, lights, tips, and marketing seem out of touch with real life in the world, not to mention life in the next. It tastes like watered-down gruel, not a nourishing meal. It simply isn't serious enough. It's too playful. It's too chatty. It's too casual. Its joy just doesn't feel deep enough or broken-hearted enough or well-rooted enough. The injustice and persecution and suffering and hellish realities that we have in this world today are many and so large and so close that I can't help but think that deep inside people, they are longing for something weighty and massive and rooted and stable and eternal. So it seems to me that trifling with silly little sketches and breezy welcome to the den styles on Sunday morning are just out of touch with what matters most in life. You better think long and hard about righteousness because it's what protects you from the enemy. Those vital organs. We have to know what we believe and why, ladies and gentlemen. This is why Paul tells us in Ephesians to put on that breastplate of the righteousness of Christ. He's not telling us that we need to seek for seven helpful tips that will form an impenetrable breastplate. He doesn't tell us to pick up helpful clues on how to live your best life now or have a happier life. Those will not protect you, folks, from the wickedness and the snares of the devil. What will protect your spiritual organs is the doctrine of the imputed righteousness of Christ given to you. Luther said this 400 years ago. The doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone is the article upon which the church will either stand or fall. What do we believe about justification? Please hear this. Put on that vital piece of armor. Put it on. It's justification by faith. And why is it the central doctrine on which the church stands or falls? It's simple. Ultimately, the most significant truth that we could ever fathom because it is the fundamental root of all reality, is how can a man or a woman be in the right with God? That's the most important thing we could ever fathom. How can I be right with a holy God? And the only way we can is to have His righteousness given to us. And the only way you can have that is by grace through faith. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, doctrine's important. Righteousness is important. Learning what the, just, what the doctrine of justification is, is important. Being able as a church, when someone asks you, how can I be right with God? Can you tell them? It's important that you tell them that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is a righteousness that comes from God. And you can have that righteousness. And how do you have it? Not by working for it, but by believing in what Jesus Christ has accomplished. What he did for us in bearing our sin, taking our guilt, dying in our stead. Okay? That's the first thing. Doctrine's important. Second, this breastplate of righteousness shows how flimsy all other breastplates are. Think about this for a moment. This is what sets this breastplate apart. We all feel the need for protection against something. I watched a shark flick last night with the kids. The shark just come up. And I lay down in the bed and I kind of feel like I'm on water and I'm looking around. Don't watch those things. You know, I still picture Jaws from a kid. I couldn't hardly go to sleep at night. But there's something out there. Right? If you're in the ocean, you better wake up. Especially if you're out there pretty deep. So there's some things we're 
that we're confronted with that we need protection from, we, we certainly feel the need for protection from this unkind world that we're in right now. All you got to do is watch TV shows. You pull up at a red light and you, you may have your car jacked, hijacked right then. Just taken, carjacked, taken away from you. It can happen. I saw it this morning on the TV. There's things out there. But here's the deal. As we look around at this world today, here, here are the two things. Self-esteem and self-worth are the greatest breastplates to the modern man that guard them. Think about this. Self-esteem and self-worth. The first thing we do when someone is self-deprecating or if they appear to be engaging in some kind of self-hatred or disparaging of how bad they are, we give them a spoonful of self-worth and a positive self-image. And that's a flimsy breastplate that's supposed to protect you against despair and depression. And at the end of the day, that's a breastplate made up of paper plates. That's not going to do it. That breastplate is impotent medicine. When we begin to understand our real depravity and our remaining sin that we have in life, it's impotent medicine. Why? Because self is the problem. Are y'all listening? Self is actually the problem. Self needs to be denied, not esteemed. Jesus did not say to us, if any man will come after me, let him esteem self. He actually says, let him deny self. Disavow his allegiance to number one, self, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness, that is the breastplate of the righteousness of Christ, is the only real protection in this battle. It's the only real protection. And I pray that you are absolutely convinced that the only thing that will be strong enough to withstand the assaults of the enemies and the schemes that come against us from our enemy in regard, it comes against our heart, it comes against our soul, it comes against our affections and our emotions and our conscience. And I hope that you are resolutely uh, confirming the fact from Scripture that the only thing that can protect you is the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's it. I pray that you believe that with all your heart. Now, how does Satan try to attack the inner man? How does he, how does he try to attack the vital organs, spiritual organs, your emotions, your heart, and your conscience? Things we looked at last week. I can't ex exhaust all those schemes. Why? Because he's been busy doing this for a long time. Right? There's no way I can do that. But let me just... Give you a few things I've thought about. First, he tries to get us to rely on our works for our righteousness. Thus, the statement that with enough effort, with enough effort, you can do the law. All right? Now, we're good Baptists, aren't we? I mean, most of us, if you're back in the corner and you're asked, how am I saved? You're not going to say, by my works, are you? Now, there are denominations that wholeheartedly believe that you are justified by your works. Uh, and they'll see a verse like you can't be justified by works. But the fact of the matter is everything in what they share with you and what their denomination is or what their religiosity is, they will show you that what they actually believe is they think they can work their way to favor with God and or righteousness. Now we're good Baptists. So we would never in our disposition say that. But I want to remind you that Satan's attacks against you are more subtle than just total denial of that. What do I mean by that? Well, the devil schemes in such a way where his goal is to make you think 
that your acceptance, his acceptance of you is based on Jesus and. The and is the killer. And even though you believed in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ fully in order for you to be saved and you trusted him, in him, as we began to live our lives, our heart betrays us in that area, doesn't it? We may know it up here, but if we're not careful, and folks, this is the killer. You're not, initially, you were not saved by Jesus and anything else. It was only his righteousness. And there, thus, your performance before the Lord today, or the way you live out your Christian life, still cannot be Jesus and anything else. It has to be Jesus only. This becomes an attitude and a disposition that is woven into our hearts, and we don't even realize it. In other words, our thoughts are God's acceptance of me is based on Jesus and how much I read my Bible today. Don't we easily fall into this? God's acceptance of me is based upon what I do and what I don't do. We would never admit this. We wouldn't articulate this kind of disposition because we know it's doctrinally wrong. Yet that's the scheme of the enemy. Now understand, he, he's a killer. He's after you. The thief comes not, but to kill, steal, and destroy. His scheme is to assault your heart. And we tend to think, I know I'm accepted before my father, but if I really serve God hard, I'll be accepted even more. I'm trying to get you to understand, you cannot be more accepted before the father than the son is. And if you're in the son, then you're just as much accepted as he is. It's not based upon your performance. Now, should you live a certain way? You better believe it. And that's the Holy Spirit living in you. That's because you've been made new and you're a new creation. But justification and righteousness given to your account and your innocence is not the same as regeneration and sanctification. I hope you understand that. I don't have time to go through all that this morning. But listen, if I do this, then I'll be really religious and I'll be really holy and God will really accept me. The more righteous I am and the more holy I am, God must be more pleased with me. Folks, if you talk to enough Christians over the years like I have, you will find that there's a multitude of Christians who have the entire Christian life reduced down to ministries. And you know this is true. Ministries. What do I mean by that? What, do, what I do for the Lord. They would never say I'm accepted because of what I do. My ministry or whatever, but at an emotional level, they latch on to the ministries and things that make them more pleasing and acceptable to God. The head may be saying, yes, imputed righteousness, but the heart is saying, he'll love me more if I, you fill it in. This is an attack on your spiritual vital organs, and eventually it will kill your spiritual life. If you think your acceptance is based on what you do, it'll kill your spiritual life. And this happens all the time in church life, doesn't it? You know of people who put all their stakes in a ministry or what they wanted to do. You're not wanting to do what I think is best for the ministry, Pastor. Therefore, I'm going to take my football and go somewhere else. Your acceptance is not based on your ministry. Your acceptance before God is based on the righteousness of Jesus. You see how subtle this is. The devil will also make you doubt the genuineness of your faith. Do y'all think the devil relishes the times when God's people struggle with whether God loves them or not? Do you? I think he relishes when we struggle with, did Christ really die in my place on the cross? Did he really bear my sins in his body? 
He relishes when we wrestle with the question, is my faith real? Let me back up and tell you that self-examination is really good at times when God is leading it. Right? I'm not telling you that it's not. Because even the Bible says, examine yourself to know that you're in the faith so that you won't be a counterfeit. That's good and healthy. But I'm talking about the falsely accusing devil who comes at us and says things like, your faith isn't real. God doesn't love you. Christ did not really die for you. His schemes kind of go like this. You think God could love a person like you? You engaged in sexual union before you were married. Do you think God could love a person like you? You used to be a thief. You used to be a drug addict. You used to be a fornicator. You used to be a homosexual before Christ saved you. You know what you did. Who are you kidding? God loves people who have their act together. And if anything is true about you, you don't have your act together. Am I the only one that struggles with this kind of stuff? Y'all look like y'all got it together, right? Look, folks, this is the enemy who does these things. Christ died for sinners, all right. But how do you know that he stood and died in your stead? This is the lie of the enemy. Do you think that if it is real saving faith, you don't think you'd be a better Christian now than you were yesterday? Wow. Does that not happen to us? He seeks to challenge the genuineness of your faith. Another one is this. The devil can also seek to discourage us and depress us. Why? Because of lack of progress. Has this ever happened to you? We look around at Mr. and Mrs. Jones, and boy, they seem to have it all together. Now, if you know Mr. and Mrs. Jones well, you'll figure out they didn't have it all together. But sometimes we think that they do. We have any Jones family in here? I'm sorry if we did. I mean, I just I tried to think about that and couldn't think of anyone, but Mr. Jones doesn't come home and kick the dog and fuss at his wife and treat her wrong. Mr. Jones actually does family worship ten times a week. And I only do it one time a week. What's wrong with me? I'm not making the progress. Right? And the enemy will say, you've been a Christian how long? You've been a Christian how long? And you've got what to show for it? The devil will say to us, wow, you've only made it this far. Give me a break. You're not a Christian at all. I know pagans that are holier than you. And he'd be right on that one. The devil will become at that moment a herald of the holiness of God. How can a thrice holy God accept someone like you? Do you see why the righteousness of Christ is so important? Right? The devil will also give you a falsely accusing conscience of your past sins. I'm telling you, he knows how to aim that fiery dart. And there are even some of you in this church who can't get past your past. You're, you're useless because the enemy is continually saying to you, don't forget about that past sin that you committed before the Father. Look, the Bible says it clearly. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. That's not a salvation verse. That's a fellowship verse. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The enemy will say to you, don't you remember all you ever did was sit around in a drunken stupor? He'll say to you, with all of the hellishness of hell, he'll come against you with a flood of an accusing conscience fueled by evil. And he seeks to drown you with guilt and shame. As the shame and guilt rise in us, we become like Adam and Eve who seek to hide ourselves from our Father. So he will certainly bring up past sins, but he will also seek to exploit our conscience with present sins. 
Can you hear him say this one? You did it again. You gossiped. You were really fighting not to do it, but you can't help yourself. You can't keep your mouth shut, and you went ahead and did it anyway. Hmm. I thought you resolved that problem a few years ago and said, I'm going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Lusted again, did you? This is about the tenth time in a day. You think God's going to forgive you for that again? Does any of this sound familiar? Does this resonate with your conscience and your soul and your emotions? I hope so. How many times do you think God is going to forgive you? That's what the enemy says. If you really meant you were sorry, you'd stop. Enemy say this to you? All of a sudden, the freedom to go to the Father is, is hindered. This is where the rubber hits the road, right? We feel such guilt. We feel such shame that we don't even go to the God we belong to, right? We don't even go to our Father. We sense the need to recoil like Adam and Eve, and step back, and our freedom of communion with the Father is hindered. These attacks go against the heart and the emotions and the conscience, and they cripple Christians, and they paralyze Christians. We wonder if we will ever know the Lord God more. Well, we wonder if we will ever go without an accusing thought. Now, I'll remind you who the Satan is. He's the accuser of the brethren. Don't think for a moment he doesn't accuse you, just like I've been saying. He's the accuser. But thank God we have an advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. So, how does the breastplate help us to stand firm against Satan's attacks? What's something practical we can think about in this critical warfare? You've got to have something to protect you folks. And the only thing that can really do it is the righteousness of Jesus. So, here's one thing. It gives you confidence before the Father, doesn't it? That breastplate. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory, the glory of God. That is Romans 5, 1 through 2. Isn't that awesome? That's our confidence before the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have the breastplate of righteousness on The devil can throw everything he wants to at you and you can still have an unwavering, unswerving, steadfast confidence that stands in Jesus Christ and that you have access to the Father through the Son. That's the confidence we have. Whatever he whispers in your ear, he can't shake your confidence in this known fact that before the Father I am declared righteous. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You can take that to the bank. That's the confidence that we have before him. And I'm convinced that much that comes by way of depression in our day, especially among Christians, is a lack of grounding and applying the imputed righteousness of Christ. When you have the imputed righteousness of Christ over your heart and your soul, it gives you joy and it gives you peace. The most liberating thing about this is that it does not depend upon you. It depends on what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. When you have Christ as your righteousness, you have the literal shalom of God. You have the peace of God. You have a relationship with the Father. And it's all because of Jesus Christ the righteous. It's all because of faith in what He accomplished. Not works to get it. It also also gives us security. 
Not only confidence, but security. If you are to have real security with the Father, you must be completely and totally ba- it must be completely and totally based on the righteousness of Christ alone. Now, is holiness important? Is holy living before the Lord important? Yes. Is union with Christ important? Yes. Is growing in ethical righteousness important? Yes. But the fact is, your security in Christ comes not because of your holiness. Not because of your faithfulness. Not because of the strength or fortitude of your faith. No matter what the charismatics say. It stands on the righteousness of Jesus alone. That's it. This is where our security is. We cannot be moved away from the love of God. We can't be moved away from God's grace. Why? Because when you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you can't be more accepted before God than that. That's what does it. Because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, we can never be lost. You say that with confidence. You should, you should believe that with confidence. Sin cannot undo what the gospel has accomplished in you. Should we hate sin? Yes, with all of our being, because that's why Christ went to the cross. Again, that's another sermon. You know, that ought to flow more out of your worship to the king who actually redeemed you. That... Righteous living ought to flow out of the fact that you love Him. You don't, it's, it's not loving commandments that brought you to Him. It's loving God because He fulfilled all those commandments and died in your place and put love in your heart. And the motive is love of God. That's why we, love, that's why we obey. That's why we hate sin. Because we belong to God. It's because we belong to the Lord Jesus. We, we have His nature in us. So here's your security. And as the devil schemes against your faith, and he starts telling you, you've got more holes in your faith than a block of Swiss cheese. You might as well go ahead and be honest and say, yes, you're exactly right. When he says to you, your faith wobbles and it is shaky and you waver, we can say, yes, that's true. But my salvation doesn't rest on my faith. My salvation rests in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished to me because I believed in him. And what he accomplished. That's what you say to the enemy. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's The hymn writer got it right. Augustus Toplady wrote these words. Yes, I to the end shall endure. As sure as the earnest is given. More happy, but not more secure. The glorified spirit in heaven. Do you all understand that you are just as secure right now. As you will be the day you close your eyes in death and wake up and see Christ. Now, will you have more joy then? Whew, absolutely. This body of sin has been put off. And we'll be, we'll be seeing the master. And we shall see him as he is and we shall be like him. Right? And every man that has his hope purifies himself. There's a, there's a dimensional difference in seeing him face to face. But I'm telling you, folks, you're just as secure today. Right now in your seat. As you will be that day when you're in heaven with him. That is an awesome thing to think about. So, finally, it fuels us in our spiritual warfare. The victory has been decisively won through Christ. Does that make, us, does that make a difference as you're strapping on the armor? The victory's already won. He's not asking you to go forward and attack the enemy. He's asking you to stand firm. He's asking you to resist. With this armor on, lay hold of this truth. Your victory is Christ's victory. 
Are y'all listening? Lay hold of this truth. His victory is your victory. That's what he's teaching. Don't listen to the lies of the devil, but preach Christ to yourself. That's good advice, right? Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. When the devil begins with the accusing of the conscience, by bringing up old sins or exploiting your present sins, stop and resolutely say to him, I will not listen to your lies. The devil, by the way, folks, never stops talking. He's resolute. Instead of listening to the lies, you need to preach Christ to yourself. Preach these three glorious words in living the Christian life. Christ for me. Preach that. Christ for me. So when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of all of our guilt within, upward we look and see him there, the one who made an end to all our sins. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Preach Christ to yourself. Preach Jesus to yourself. It's not the strength of your faith. It's the righteousness of Christ for you. That is what you preach to your soul during the doubtful times. In the midst of life, in the midst of guilt over sin, in the midst of shrinking back from the Father. Preach it boldly. Christ for me. You know what else you can do? You can learn the old hymns. And new hymns. But hymns help us. Because the righteousness of Jesus ought to fill us with joy and gladness. The song says it like this. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed with righteousness divine. Behold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. How about this one? When he shall come with trumpet sound, may I then in him be found. Dressed in righteousness alone, faultless to stand before. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. That's a good hymn. Right? We trust in you, O captain of salvation. In your dear name, all other names above. Jesus, our righteousness, our sure foundation, our prince of glory, and our king of love. That old hymn is called, We Trust in You, Our Shield and Our Defender. wonder why she wrote that. Our shield and our defender. Thy righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails save that which is of thee. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am. I will glory in my Redeemer, who crushed the power of sin and death, my only Savior before the Holy Judge. Do you hear that? My only Savior before the Holy Judge, the Lamb who is my righteousness. What about today? Knowing you. Knowing you. There is no greater thing. You are my all. You're the best. You're my joy. You're my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Can I tell you again? Know the hymns. Know the hymns. Preach it to yourself. Remember, you've got an advocate that stands in your place. It's okay to say all accusations are true. But Jesus is still mine. It's okay. Finally, pray earnestly. Do we need to do this? 
the priest in the Old Testament wore a breastplate, and on that breastplate were 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and it was a mark of intercession. Why? It was close to the heart. And as we don the breastplate of righteousness of Christ, we should freely confess, freely repent of our sins, do it boldly before the righteous one and no one else before Christ. We, when we sin, don't wait until you feel guilty enough to go to the throne of grace. Don't treat the throne of grace cheaply. Don't do it. How do you magnify grace? You go boldly to the throne of grace immediately when you sin. And you say to the Father, I've sinned. Wash me and cleanse me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done. Don't listen to the lies of Satan. But stand on the unchangeable promises of God. And I think it's fitting that we read this one. Just listen to the word of the Lord. I'm in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Y'all hear it? Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who has raised? Who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Praise God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep led to the slaughter. Knowing all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's Christ. For I am sure that neither death nor Life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will, able, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Sing the hymns. Speak them to yourself. And speak the word of God to yourselves. You ever thought about this? I'm sure it's not original with me. But the very same cross that defeated the enemy is the very same cross that justified you. Remind the enemy of that. The Lord Jesus Christ destroyed you, right? He actually crushed your head through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. By the way, the Bible does say he was raised for our justification. That's another sermon, okay? Maybe at Easter, right? But remind him that that was the Death crushed to his head by Christ Jesus. And it's your liberation. It's your justification. It is through what he did on the cross that actually redeemed your heart when you believed in him by faith. Amen? All right. Father, thank you again for just contemplating and thinking as a church family about righteousness. And Lord, I'm just impressed to say, Father, if someone is here not saved, the Bible tells us, that the gospel creates an aroma of life for those who are being saved. And an aroma of death to those who are perishing. Father God, would you let the gospel be an aroma of life to those who are listening. There is a righteousness that comes from God. Apart from the law. We can never obey the law. 
But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and as God, you obeyed the law perfectly. As God and man. And Lord God, we are so thankful that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Praise the Lord. Father, would you bring about faith in the heart of a dead sinner today? And may they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And Lord, for the saints, save people in the church. Lord, let us lean into righteousness. Think about how vitally important it is in the real life of living as a Christian. In the difficulties. Lord, we're just reminded of Christians all over the world that are dying for the gospel. And Lord, what they're protected by is not seven good uh, hints of how to live the Christian life. They're protected by the righteousness of Jesus. That's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about security. They're thinking about eternality, things of eternal significance. God, help us do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand to our feet? Let's sing together. All I was dear, built my life upon all this world family, I'd like to introduce you to Cheryl Murphy. And Miss Cheryl knows Jesus as Lord, and she has followed Believer's Baptism. She'll be coming to us by statement of faith, also willing to take our new members class. I met with Miss Cheryl a few weeks ago. Delightful lady, loves the Lord, and like to recommend, I'd like to say to you that she's a member of First Baptist Church, and she'll be taking our new members class, so we welcome her. Amen. God bless you. I'll have you go back there with Don, Miss Cheryl, and we'll greet you going out. All right.
Okay, tonight uh, you'll be in the auditorium. Okay, never mind. I'm going to let our. This is very dangerous. We're let our youth the microphone pastor. over to the youth pastor. All right. <laughs> Hopefully, it won't be that bad. If you are a parent of a tween or teenager, we have a parents' conference that begins this um, afternoon at 3 o'clock in the South Fellowship Hall. Whether you registered or not, we're going to spend some time there. Um, continuing that, at 5.30, we're going to ask all of the congregation to come back for our normal uh, Sunday evening uh, worship service. But we have a special public forum with a group that deals specifically with um, the dangers of technology and some of how to biblically think through and protect our children from what does lurk behind the screens so often. And so we have two services. In, in fact, we have one here where the adults are going to meet. And then also, if you have a teen, 7th grade through 12th grade, we're going to be up in the jam room. Um, and so we're going to have two different services going on at the same time. Um, and then we're going to bring the teens back in here, and we're going to pray over our teenagers. And, and just pray that God would protect them uh, from, from some of the things that they're facing on a daily basis through their technology. We also have things for birth through 5 years old, and we also have things for our elementary students. So come back 5.30 uh, for our evening worship service. Great job. There you go. God bless y'all. See you tonight.